reading from the Gospel of John 16. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will speak, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he tell you, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I have said the Spirit will the, the Spirit will receive from me what makes what will he will make known to you. The word of the Lord. Be to God. The kids are you can be seated. The kids are staying in today as it's family Sunday on the fifth Sunday. All right. Good morning. Can you guys hear me? Awesome. This is uh, quite the deal. I got to get my toupee and my mic and my reading glasses to all flow together here. So just give me half a second to get my stuff together. All right. So uh, God is going to ask Elijah a question. And the question is, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he asked it to him twice. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And I'm sure if Elijah is kind of a smart aleck, he's, he knows the answer. He's like, uh, I'm trying not to get my head cut off. But I don't think he was probably sassy with God at that moment. Um, but God's asking him a set of questions. You ever ask somebody a question, but you really mean a different question? And I think the Lord's doing that to, to Elijah here. Um, what he's really asking is, do you know the God you serve? And do you know who you are in him, in God? See, Elijah had, uh, had an epic battle with um, the prophets of Baal, and they had this brawl and this great miracle, and Ahab the king went to the real power of the kingdom, who was his wife Jezebel, and told her what had happened, and Jezebel's like, that's it. I'm going to cut you in pieces, and you're dead. And uh, at that point, Elijah, Elijah books. And he runs, and he runs, and he runs, and he runs, and he is out of there, and he's hiding in a cave in Moab, basically. I mean, he's like way out in the wilderness, and he's like, yeah, I know what I'm doing here, Lord. I don't want to get my head cut off. But I want to let that question frame what we're going to do today. So I'm going to get it at the beginning and then at the end and uh, see if that doesn't pull it all together. And so I'm going to cut it into those two questions. Do we know the God we serve, and do we know who we are in him? All right. So Matt thought it'd be easy. He said, I'll I'll let you do the Trinity and summarize seven sermons that I just did in 17.3 minutes. And I'm like, thanks, Matt. Like, you're you're a pal. I really like that. I'm going to take you on what a little bit might feel like a little bit of a detour, take you back to your college philosophy class or just philosophy in general if you haven't had that. But when you think about philosophy, you have lots of little questions in there. One is ontology, which is asking the question, what actually exists? What is being? Uh, epistemology, how do we know stuff? Um, kind of the question of what we ought to do in our life, ethics, existentially, I'm here, how do I respond to that? But I want to ask an ontological question because I want to get to the heart of what I think is the most beautiful thing about the Trinity. And uh, that is answering that question, do we know the God that we serve? So just a little bit of uh, working through that. If there is something now, there has always been something. Because something cannot come from nothing. Does that kind of make sense? Because nothing is not. Nothing isn't anything. And that's why it's a hard time to even discuss the word nothing because the word is and the word nothing don't go together. Does that make sense? Something is, a a being word, is nothing. So if there's something now, there has always been something because nothing is not. So if you flip that around, you want to say it this way. If there ever was a time when there is nothing, there would always be nothing. 
because something cannot come from nothing. Because nothing is not, right? Can you imagine that if there was ever nothing and then all of a sudden something came from that nothing? But nothing isn't a thing, right? So if you're going to think about the ways, we have to define that something, right? And the world defines that kind of in a couple of ways. One is, for lack of a better term, equals mc squared, matter and energy, okay? And the other would be God, right? And so it could be the, the Buddhist uh, sense of God, it could be the, the Jews, it could be the Muslims, and we as Christians have our own little twist on that, right? But those are really your candidates. Like when you talk about the Big Bang, you don't go, well, there was nothing and nothing exploded into existence. Like, does that work? It, it doesn't, right? Because nothing is nothing. So for us, the thing that originally was is God, right? Is God. Now, when you think about categories of being here, um, and whether you think this is a fantasy, maybe this table isn't actually here, but even that fantasy would be real in that sense, but we're going to say that it's actually here, it has matter, it has, takes up space, it decays, it does all those kind of things. You think about the categories of being, you have, you know, the bread and the table and all that, and then you have something else. And so, this is something different, isn't it? Right? I... I look at her, and we've been married for 37 years, right? And I look in her eyes, and there's someone there. She's sentient. She's conscious. She's aware. She's a, a different form of being, right? And it's a powerful thing. My little granddaughter is probably nine months now. Lucy's nine. But when she was seven, uh, and even earlier, you would walk in the room, and she would lock on you. And her eyes would grab you. And Ellie did the same thing. And I don't know if our kids did that, but she would just lock on the eyes. She didn't do that with like, you know, a file cabinet. Oh, <laughs> a file cabinet. But she would just lock on you. And she started doing this thing in about seven months where she would go. And she would just stare at you and stick her hand out. What was she doing? She was making contact and she was beginning to communicate, right? And now she's added the word, hi. It's her first word, hi. But it's so powerful. And it's so intense. And it tells you a little bit something about the Trinity. And it's why I think uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit makes so much more sense than E equals MC squared. Okay? Because things don't go from less order to more order. You know, we have this thing called entropy, right? All right? That's not the way the universe essentially works. Um, but what this means is if you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the deepest things about us as humans have always been there. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit have been in eternal joy together, eternal laughter together, eternal communication together, eternal love together. And it was from that love and that passion for each other that creation burst forth, right? That that love almost wanted to share itself. You ever gone on a great hike? What do you want to do? Oh, Dude, Shelby, this was awesome. You got to go do this. You want to share something you love, right? You want to get passionate about it and you want to pull everybody in, okay? And that's, I think that love and that communication and that, that being, that, that connection between the Father, and the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bursts forth into creation. And so the most important part of creation, I know it's going to sound a little selfish and it's not politically correct, is that sentientness, that consciousness, that being, that humanity, which has just something there that's divine. It's this spark within all of us. And we can move into that trinity in a powerful, powerful way. 
little more definition kind of thing. Um, God is one in essence and three in persons. God has forever been, and I was just looking for my glasses, by the way, but I just found them. So if I, if I ever ask you, like, where are my glasses? Which, I don't know, Kim could probably, how many times we ask each other all day, have you seen my glasses? And I don't know, where are they? Well, they're in your face. Okay, that's great. Um, let me give you, a, one of the earliest creeds within Christianity is the Athanasian Creed. And I, I think the way he says this about the Trinity is, is pretty much awesome. I just lost one of my little cards. It went down there. I'll be okay. That we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, and the person of the Son is another, and the person of the Holy Spirit is still another. But the divinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal and their majesty co-eternal. I think that's, that's pretty awesome. So that's that first question. Do we know who we serve? Like, Elijah, what are you doing here? In other words, Elijah, do you know who I am? Do you know what, 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 what I have? I have your back here. Um, so the second question is, who are we in the middle of that? And what is our relation to God? Matt just ta- taught seven sermons. And, and so I just listened to those seven sermons. And what are you guys supposed to say? Condolences. <laughs> like, that's a lot. That's a lot of Matt. I mean, se- seven straight sermons. Like, um, but I have a therapist, and we're working it through it. So it's okay. Um, but the whole idea was the one, three, and five uh, idea here, okay? And we're trying to work on that vision for Defiance Church, uh, the Defiance Church 2.0. And uh, we're just trying to communicate things with you. None of this should have been a shock. Like, the things we were talking about, you're like, oh, I never thought about the Bible being important. Like, uh, that's crazy talk. But it should be, uh, we just want to dig into it, and we want to make it part of our atmosphere and part of our culture and part of who we were. So I tried to, I don't want to re-preach those sermons, and you don't want me to, uh, by the way, but I'm trying to look for kind of the warp and the woof of those sermons, you know. So when you, when you weave something, the warp is the vertical threads, and the woof is the in-between threads. And I'm trying to look for the kind of the architecture, the structure of what he was saying in there. And here's two things that I pulled out that, I, that he said fairly regularly in, in a lot of the sermons here. One is that the ground is moving beneath our feet. You feel that. You know that. Our culture our constitution, all the things that are going on, the pandemic, uh, the technological explosion, the, the fact that you know that tech has got you every moment, that they know exactly where you are, everything you buy, your preferences, all of that stuff. Uh, it's so exciting to be watched every second. That's just great. Thank you. Uh, thank you, big brother. Um, and our relationship to that and how we get through that, how we work through that, um, the culture does seem to be shaking fairly radically. Um, and Matt pulled out a and we, you heard it today, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And, and I just want you to know the word righteous there means that you're right with God. And as Christians, we never say that we're righteous because, hey, we're all that. But we're righteous because the blood of Christ has covered us, right? Because he's washed us and he's made us right. Um, but what are we to do when these foundations are shifting? And, and in a later sermon, he answered that question, uh, which was, Another psalm, another question, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? 
And the answer, of course, is resounding yes. Like God can prepare a table in the wilderness. He can sustain us and feed us and take care of us through these times. And so really we want to think about and being not the church militant. For those of you who are kind of evangelicals and you kind of grew up in that world, there was a period where the, the evangelical church was kind of militant about it. It's like, yeah, we're the moral majority and we're going to do this. And we're going to change the country and blah, blah, blah. And I think that's pretty evidently not true in 2021, right? We're more the church, um, or they were the church triumphant. We're more the church militant, where we're like kind of the rebels of the society in a weird way. That's why I wore the tie. So to, to be defiant is to wear a tie in defiance church. Does that make sense? So, because you guys are all like, well, we're not like those old footy days that wear ties. And so I thought, well, I better wear a tie to be, de- to be defiant. Um, so, and then uh, you can pretty much tell that Kim didn't pick this out and match it all, but that's okay. So the ground is moving before our people and we, uh, before our f- under our feet, and we need to recognize that we're a wilderness wandering people, that we are exiles, that we're sojourners, that we're aliens or pilgrims in this world. Uh, the, the song, This World Is Not Our Home. And I'm okay with that. In fact, I'm good with that. Like, I don't necessarily want to be the culture. I would rather be counterculture. So the notion within the sermons is that we're going to go against the grain a little bit, that we are going to be defiance church, to defy that culture a little bit, right? We're going to whatever. We're going to go against the tide. We can do a little Bob Seger and go against the wind, you know, however you want to you look at that. But we're going to be pressing against those kind of things. And... Um, that, I think, is part of our culture and part of our nature here, and that's okay. And I, I don't want to be rebellious just to be rebellious. Like, sometimes I ask Matt, like, dude, are you just doing that just so you could be counter, like, blah, just they say A and you say B? And we don't want to do that. What we want to do is choose life and choose truth and be counter to the things that are deadly within our culture. And we don't want to embrace death. We want to embrace life. Um, and I think the Mennonites in particular, I'm not actually a Mennonite. I just play one on TV. Or, I mean, I'm at, at this church here. But the Mennonites, for, for the longest of their history, have been really powerful in the way that they've said, no, no, we're not going to be a part of this culture. We are not going to you know, embrace war. We're not going to embrace violence. We're not going to do those things. We're going to be different. And I think that's really healthy and, uh, and wonderful. Um, the second thing that I thought was meta through all seven of those sermons is, and it was really mostly, mostly only explicitly let out in the last sermon on Pentecost, but it was within all seven of the sermons. And if you haven't heard the last sermon on Pentecost, I think it wasn't a part of the series, but it was a, the best sermon in the series. So you want to go back on, on the internet and listen to that sermon because it was really good. All dry bones without the Holy Spirit. All dry bones without the Holy Spirit. This sermon is all dry bones without the Holy Spirit. That praise, this communion, we need the Spirit to animate us, to give us life, to speak to us. This is, this is not a dead faith. This is a living and active relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and with Jesus Christ in our life. And if that is not animated by the Holy Spirit, if it is not given life by the Spirit, then what are we doing here? You know, what, what, what is the point? There is no point, right? So we have to be asking continually for the Spirit. And, you know, that may come in some big flashy way, probably not, but it comes, and he moves us, and he gives us direction. And what I'm asking is, what is the direction of the Defiance Church? Where are we going? How do we fit to this valley? How do we minister to this valley? How do we bring light and life and salt to the valley? How do we bring encouragement? How do we minister to needs if people are hungry or if they need this or that or what do we need to do how do we minister to spiritual needs we want to do that by the holy spirit 
and by his direction and not by our inclination. So a couple of scriptures in that that I thought were pretty powerful. In Zechariah, he's talking and he says, uh, the Spirit says, tell Zerubbabel, I knew I was going to do that, Zerubbabel, right? Everybody knows how to say Zerubbabel and I get up here and I choke on it. That's ridiculous. Uh, This is the Lord's message to Zerubbabel, not by strength and not by power, but my spirit, says the Lord, says the Lord of the heaven's armies. And that is really, really where we want to be. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, they who labor, labor in vain. And that's true about your marriage. It's true about your relationship with your kids. It's true about what we're trying to do here. God has to be the warp and the woof in that, right? He has to be in that, and we have to be imbued with that. Um, And I don't know how to say this, but so, so one of our boys is going through kind of a, a spiritual crisis and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I, I told him something that I don't think he expected. I, I said, you know, I think that faith needs to die, as he described it to me. I said, I know that my faith has been through different iterations, reiterations over, over my 58 years. And he was just in this kind of weird, funky spiritual place. Um, and I'm just praying for him that that old kind of brokenness is like a snake shedding a skin or whatever. He just needs a new rebirth in his faith. He needs the Spirit to breathe something new in him, to see Christ differently, to understand what God is doing. And I can't rebirth that. That's the hardest thing for you, for parents with young children. All of us that have children that are older, we know that. We know we can't birth faith in our kids. And we weep over that. And we cry and we think about it. We pray and we ask God. But the only way it can happen is if God births that faith within them. And for this son of mine, I'm praying that God would birth a new faith in him. And that the old would shed away. And I think that's true for all of us, right? Like if your faith is exactly the same thing that it was when you were 12, does that make any sense? It doesn't. It's new because it's not a dead faith. It's living and active, and the Spirit needs to do that. So it's just going to riff for a second. God gives the breath of life to Adam, and Adam is animated. He gives a plan to Noah to set an ark in the middle of the storm. He calls a moon worshiper out of Ur and gives him a covenant and walks with him. He gives Joseph a vision, and Joseph's clueless what's going on. But Joseph ties into that vision and follows it. The Spirit gives a face-to-face call to Moses, and God walks with Moses as, as a friend. He gives tenacity and wisdom to Ruth. The Spirit opens up Ruth's eyes, and she says to Naomi, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying with you because I want to be in relationship to your God. And so she's wise and she's tenacious. And Naomi's slapping her down like, get out of here. And, and, and Ruth's like, no, I'm here. And she ends up being an ancestor of Christ, which is kind of amazing. He gives an anointing to David as a young man. Ah, we're going to anoint these kids. Oh, there's one punk kid out in the field. Bring him in here. And there's an anointing on David's life. And he sees the battle and he says, Goliath, who are you? to challenge the armies of the living God because he's anointed, because he sees, he has a vision, right? And then he works away. We have, we have more information about David than anybody in the Bible, right? We know his internal landscape. And that's why we love him because 
he's us in so many ways. Like all the dumb things that David does, if you can't say, uh-huh, been there, uh-huh, then I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> He's not being honest because David has done it all uh, on the cool part and the stupid part as well. Um, he gives courage to Esther. You know, who's this young girl that's going to go to the king at the risk of death and fight for her people and save an entire people? He gives an accepting spirit to a young girl and, and the angel says, "We're blessed are you because you believed what I said about you. And Mary brings forth the Messiah of the world. All those people had the Spirit breathing into them a vision, a call, an idea of what to do. What's God's call for this church? What does God want us to do? I know we're like, well, yeah, you're picking up like the big dog Bible things. We're just like dudes in Glenwood. I said dudes seven times, so I need to stop saying that word. I don't know why I'm saying that. It just sounds kind of cool, like, dudes but what is our vision in this church like what are we doing here how do we bless this community and how do we bless each other how do we become a family is what i heard matt saying in all those sermons that was the undertext of what i thought he said the subtext is better than undertext isn't it i'll remember that next time i preach the sermon um i forgot one verse which i really want to say because this is a trinitarian verse you have God the Son promising the disciples something God the Father is going to do as he sends God the Holy Spirit. So did you hear the Trinitarian part of this text? And also hear the idea that the disciples had to wait until the Spirit was poured out upon them. They had to wait, and they had to be at peace, and they had to pray, and they had to seek what God was doing. Jesus says, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father has promised, but stay in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And uh, I need that power. I don't deserve that power. I'm not sure how the Holy Spirit works with my carnal nature and my brokenness, but I really need that power. All right, so a couple of comments about the 135, and then I'm out of here. I just want to, um, I don't want to re-preach those sermons, but I want to just mention them, okay? The first one, of course, is kind of the vision of, of what we're doing here in this church, the mission statement, to be a witness to the reign of the triune God, reconciling and renewing all things to himself. I want to apologize to Matt because he was a little passive-aggressive in those sermons. I don't know if you noticed, but like he is unhappy with the wording on this, on this thing here, and he let us know. But I would also say, hey, Matt, you should have fought us harder. Like, we were just, we were tired of that meeting. We're like, nah, the statement's great. Don't worry about it, you know. So we'll go back and we'll readdress that and we'll, we'll get it going again. But, but the idea that we're witnesses, like, we don't do, we don't, we're not God. Like, we don't save people, but we witness to God saving ourselves and to what he might be able to do in them if they will open their hearts to him. And we want people to be reconciled to each other you know, 2 Corinthians 5, and we want people, more importantly, to be reconciled to God. See, I started with that ontological stuff about what is the nature of the universe, right? And the deepest nature of the universe, to me, is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you're at cross purposes with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, life is always going to be hard. You ever know those people where you're like, dude, I don't know what's going on. I said it again. I don't know what's going on with you, but life, you're just always going against the grain and you're just getting smacked down. 
if you can get in line, you're not going to change reality like, like Justice Kennedy said in that one quote. You're not going to like change reality, but you want to get in line with reality. And the deepest reality is not matter and energy. The deepest reality is personness, is love, is communication, is intimacy. That's what you need and that's what you hunger for. That's why you become an alcoholic, because you're not having that, and you just can't take it anymore. It's why you get addicted to looking at things on the internet, because you want some kind of intimacy. It's why you love your dog more than other human beings, because at least your dog likes you, right? I mean, we get into all these kind of weird things, right? It's why you smoke the pot, because you just can't handle the reality of things, right? But the answer to those things is to get to the true nature of the universe, which is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then we can all maybe leave our addictions and our brokenness and our shallowness to the side, and we can live richer, more beautiful lives. Um, I like this quote from Cardinal Suhardar. Uh, to be a witness does not consist in engaging in propaganda, even in stirring people up, but being a living mystery. It means to live in such a way that one's life would not make sense if God did not exist. I think that's right, right? I think that's right is to let your life be a mystery. And it is a mystery. It's a mystery as I've watched her for 37 years and I've watched God do amazing things in her heart. And she's seen God do surprising things in me. And that's beautiful, right? I mean, that's beautiful to be together and to watch God do things. I guess I would say, what are we a witness to? I just wanted to declare this out uh, specifically. And that would be uh, Paul's statement in Titus, right? He says, when God, and this is a really Trinitarian um, scripture as well, right? Uh, when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of any of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out his Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will have eternal life. Is that cool? That's what we're a witness to. That little card, that, that, no, not the card. But what God has done in that, I think is beautiful. All right, the three. Faith, hope, and love. All right, faith, hope, and love. But really we wanna say faith, love, and hope. Because Matt was really right to point out some chronological aspect of that, some stretching of that over time. We look back to our faith to all the things that God has done. We look forward in hope to what God is doing and will do and can do, but we live in love. Like the knife edge of the present must be love. That's where we need to live. So we have faith as we look back, and we have hope as we look forward, but we live in love. Let me give you what I think is, uh, well, first of all, he said a couple things in the sermon I thought were pretty good. He said, um, and he quoted somebody, he said, Love is to grow the glory of another. You like that? Love is to grow the glory of another. Can you picture the Trinity growing the, the love of the glowing, growing the glory of each other? I can. If you were to ask me about the Trinity, well, hey, who's the greatest in there? I think you would have missed the whole point. I don't think the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are like, well, who's greater? Who has more whatever? They're just trying to glorify each other. Just go to John 17. It's all about glorifying each other and lifting each other up and wanting the best for each other. And that example is what we want uh, in our church and in our lives. 
so you know, like one of those little thorny sections of scripture is Ephesians 5, and particularly in the modern world here where it's, wives, submit to your husbands, and, and husbands, give up your, you know how everybody gets all prickly about that? What they miss is 521, which is the verse that is the covering of that entire verse. It says, to submit to one another in reverence for God. That's the whole key to marriage, right? I submit to her, and she submits to me. And we even in some ways submit to our children. In other words, we want to give them everything we have. And it's this whole passion of trying to out-love each other and out-want the best for each other. That's when that whole scripture makes sense. If you, if you skip Ephesians 5.21, the scripture doesn't make sense. Let me prove it to you. Jesus is just about to die. And he's in the upper room. And he's about to wash the disciples' feet. God the Son... Before the foundation, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. God, the Word that created the entire world, was going to get on his knees and wash their feet, right? So he's just about to do that. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, he knows what's going on. He gets down. He gets ready. He's ready to glorify them in some ways, serve them, and lift them up because he knows they're going to go through it when he's up on that cross, right? But listen to what, he, what, what John comments on right after that verse. Verse 4, Jesus rose, uh, oh, the verse before that. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. See, that's the example for us, right? Faith, we know we came from God's call and his movement on us, and we hope, where are we going? To God. And where do we live? We live right here in the present in love, in serving each other, in sacrificing for each other, in letting this place be something, something that people go, I don't know what's going on at that defiance place, but there's something kind of beautiful there. There's something kind of strange there. There's something that doesn't seem to fit authentically with the rest of the world. It seems other. It's a mystery. Can I get an amen on that at all? Anybody? Amen. amen. Okay. I just have to look at Kim because she's the one who smiles at me all the time. So. So. And it probably just means she put a dead fish in the bed and she's waiting for me to get in tonight. But right now she's smiling, so we're going to go with it. All right, last one is the five. And again, I'm not going to re-preach this. They're up on the board there. The word... Uh, confession, the tradition, order, and the table. Here's a couple comments on these. These are all facets of one diamond, right? You can't have one of those without the other. They all interplay with each other. And we, Matt was struggling, and I'm struggling how to say that. He had the, the triple helix, the DNA thing, right? All right? And we kind of do that under the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and that's one way to say it. It's uh, threads in a tapestry, if you will. Um, it's... Um, components of the same DNA. What it reminded me of is uh, when my kids were young, we had this children's encyclopedia, and particularly Mitch and I used to go through this thing, and we'd just lead, read it, and I'd start teaching him stuff. And he'd start asking questions. And we got into the human body a lot, and we, because it had like one section on the circulatory system, and one little section on, and it was just really well done. And so we'd name you know, the six systems, and we'd be like, you got a skeletal system, and you got a circulatory system, and you got a nervous system, and you got a, a reproductive system, and you have a, ner uh, did I say a nervous, anyway, we'd say the six, and you have um, 
all those systems. And so like if you look at my hand here, because then we start talking about body parts, but if you look at this hand right here, you should see a skeletal system, you should see a muscular system that's running it, a circulatory system that's taking away the bad stuff and bringing in the good stuff, the digestive system is bringing energy in through the blood, and of course you're not going to believe this, but your brain is actually in your hand. Does that make sense? I mean, we used to think the brain is just kind of here, but actually, if you I don't want to argue about it, but your brain is actually distributed throughout your entire body through the nervous system. And I get you can go, oh, we got these lobes and all that kind of stuff, and that's in your skull, but really your brain moves throughout the whole thing. So all those systems are working within this hand so that the word and the confession and the tradition and the order and the table should all be one. Okay, one thing. So think about order for a second. Where does order, how does that connect? Well, there's chaos in Genesis 1, and God speaks a word, brings order to that, right? Does that make sense? So it goes through the whole process. So these things, we want to be our rhythm. We want them to be what we do. And you should see those in every aspect. Um... Let me just say one more thing, and then I'll be done. After I got a little conclusion, I'll be done. Uh, we're in a really instant age right now that's very in the present. Like, we just look at this moment. You said it, you're canceled. Um, oh, no, this pandemic is the worst pandemic ever. Or this is the worst. This, this is the biggest drought ever. And as a history teacher, I have the sense to kind of try to stretch that out a little bit and go, eh, maybe. I don't know. Like, if I was in uh, the Weimar Republic in 1938, uh, I might think things are pretty bad here. Like, I don't know who this guy with the mustache, I don't know what's going on here, right? Uh, it's pretty ugly. It's pretty awful. Um, so I want to give us some kind of sense. And one thing I notice about the word, about the confession, and about the, the tradition and the order and the table is they're not just in the instant, but they also stretch out. And let me give you an example of that. Elijah, when he was running from Jezebel because he was terrified, uh, he, he just wants to die because he thinks he's the last believer left, right? And so he lays down under the broom tree and he's going to die. Elijah lay down, he slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. And he looked around and beside him, their head was bread baked on some hot stones and a jar of water. And so he ate and he drank and he laid down again. What is that about? He's terrified. He's scared. He's going to have to run for 40 days. He needs something. And so what does God do? God gives, and this is before the question, right? Because he knows he needs the sustenance before God can even ask him the question. But he gives him the food of angels. And what does that hearken to in our tradition? You have to think, what did God do to that wilderness people, for that wilderness people? He fed them, what, the manna and the water from the rock. And what does he do in the future from this moment? He feeds us with the body and the blood of Christ. And so all of these things stretch out over time, and they're meant to have this lengthening effect, which gives it stability, right? You ever been on like a little tiny skateboard, and there's, you know, it's like, a, you got no stability, right? You ever been on those longboards? You're like, dude, I can go anywhere on this thing, you know? <laughs> this thing is powerful. So you need that length. We need that to stretch it out a little bit and see what God is doing in all of these things over time so we don't get all panicked in the moment. And I, I don't know what to tell you, but we feel like if the foundations are shifting, we're in kind of a lot of panic moment. And we need to dig our roots deep, deep into what God's doing and deep into who his presence is and deep into the way the Spirit is speaking to us. And as we do that, 
I think it'll settle our hearts a little bit and allow us to not see. So that moment that kid exploded in my classroom and he just, ah, or he was sad, ah, my heart was always like, what's going on with that guy? You know, I can imagine, I love Matt to death, but I can imagine having him in class and going, oh my goodness, what is going on with this kid? What's happening here? And that's what I'm asking you to do. Like the, the little flash in the pan thing that happens, that's whatever. But there's something behind all that. And there's something behind. And that's why you kind of pull the kid in the hall and you go, what's up? <laughs> what's going on here? Like, did I really hack you off? Or is everything okay at home? Or how can we fix this, you know? And you just have that conversation with them rather than, you know, getting all mad because they're being a jerk in your class or whatever the thing is, you know. So that's what I'm asking you to do is to think, think what's the big story behind the story. Okay, finally. Um, and uh, as soon as I get this separated, we're ready. So what are you doing here, Elijah? What are we doing here? That's what that 135 series was about. Do we know the God we serve? I hope that you have this preciousness a little bit about the Trinity, that one in essence, three in persons, and you can just see that's the most beautiful thing ever, and that that beauty explodes out and gives us the beauty of this world. And it gives us that consciousness. And you also know that that consciousness also gave us an awareness and also brings evil into the world, right? Because if I know what hurts me, I can know what hurts her, right? And so all of a sudden I'm a sentient being and I've taken of the knowledge of the truth of good and evil. And so now I, as a, as, an, as a being that's conscious and aware, I can commit evil and I can torture others. I can mock them. I can hurt them. I can bully them. I can make their life miserable because I know they've made my life miserable. And you see that descending spiral of hate and horror and ugh. And what Christ is asking you to do is to choose life, right? Is to bring life into those moments. And to not say that word that you know is going to hurt somebody. Or not do that thing that's going to hurt yourself. But to choose life. And sometimes people want to shake their fist at God. Like, well, how do you make a world that's all this stuff is happening? What are you doing? And really, instead of putting that question off on him, maybe we should ask the question, what am I doing? What have I done to bring hurt and pain and brokenness into this world? And even more, what have I done to fix that? When I have hurt somebody, how have I, have I reconciled? Remember our mission? Reconciling things? What have we done to do that? That's a better question than shaking our fist at God. So, I just want to read one quote. And, and I, I, I'm going to skip through the other thing and I'm going to get to this one idea. It's one of the most ancient thoughts within Deuteronomy and it's so powerful. God looks at us as people and he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. And then he, had, he enjoins us, so choose life in order that you may live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice and by holding fast to him. And I guess my encouragement for us as a church is to know who he is and to know who we are and to choose life in all the little moments we have, in all the moments together, and wherever we work and what we do is to choose life. Um, 